Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would, <laughs> would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the curiosity shop over there at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Oh, that, that was some nice Midwestern accent <laughs> thrown on there. Uh, Felt appropriate for today. <laughs> <laughs> your generous support, or your generous support, if, uh, if my also home accent <laughs> needs to come into play, um, <laughs> helps make the show happen. Mm-hmm. And will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Which is delightful. It's true. And drama-free and frequently filled with things that I find during my insomnia in the middle of the night. Possibly a nightmare fuel. Possibly just weirdness. All of those things are true. <laughs> Can <you>? confirm. <laughs> uh, but... But in a good way. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so too, but I am also melting like the Wicked Witch. Melting. So. Melting. All right. Now, I'm going to go ahead and not run with that. <laughs> and instead say... In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street... You'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 4, Episode 7. Wait, where did you come from? I have no idea. Um, I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast, and I go by she and her. And I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official true crime creative, and my pronouns are she and her. Holy shit. Third <laughs> floor was a terrible idea to have yeah. all of my workspaces on. I, mean, I might die. But it'll be nice in the winter. No, Doesn't... because it's just as bad. Well, actually, I guess it is slightly warmer in the winter. I would say, <clears throat> doesn't the heat rise? Yeah, it does rise, but it also doesn't... Stay? <laughs> stay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, hey, hi, how you doing? <laughs> Honestly, I'm really confused about where my vocals are coming from. <laughs> it's, you know... Uh, but seriously, <laughs> I can, I can hear them, yeah. and oh, I think never mind. <clears throat> I just didn't have my headphones on all the way. That'll happen. It does sometimes. It does. Anyway, hi, hi. 
that at least is one mystery solved. There you go. See? It's just cracking them off. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, <laughs> cracking off mysteries. Just solving them and shoving them away. I don't know. I That's just, what I've been doing with frosted animal crackers today. <laughs> that is wonderful. I There's just such a, a joy in those. And I am happy that they are still a thing. Um, Me too. They're like on the bottom most shelf of the cookie aisle at the grocery store. And I'm like, can we give them a little respect? Seriously, especially those kind, because they are the perfect balance of cookie with sweet. Like it's not like I do love the ones that are like fully coated with the sprinkles on. But, like, after three of them, I can't tell because they're so sweet. But those are so good. And they have that slight spice usually to them about them. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, there's definitely some some allspice happening in there. Yeah. They're, they're a good, solid cookie. Listen, I agree. Completely. <laughs> no, I, I feel like this Saturday Night Live with uh, the NPR skit. Where the two, <laughs> two, two gals talk food stuff. <laughs> what real wild? And I asked Santa for a garlic press. <laughs> oh my God. In case listeners out there don't know, it's really hot and yeah. we're melting. Yeah. As are our brains, as you can probably clearly hear. Yeah, it has been a minute and we have been through the things each of us in our own in our own way i've been it's true been digitally organizing which is a weird thing for me um Hmm. because i had i still have far too many messages in my my google mail um but (laughs) but i got rid of like I want to say 200,000, <laughs> which is frightening to admit. But Are uh, you talking about your inbox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, uh, I've, yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I've been working uh, on getting... I can't have uh, more than one page and they all have to be labeled accurately. Yeah, oh, God. I should be like that. I want to be like that, which is... It's... I am like... With my email right now, I am like Joey with a book that he doesn't, that starts to scare him and he shoves it in the freezer. Like, it's just <laughs> in the freezer. <laughs> like, it just, oh. try not to but I'm like trying to get organized and I've been pretty proud of myself because I've been like, you know, digitally organizing, not as much hoarding. I no longer, I, I have significantly decreased the amount of tabs that I have, um, and I'm going to Yeah, I have to do a tab collection reset once yeah. in a while. Uh, I'm about due for one. And then uh, I'm going to I'm going to start to use Notion, which Eldis like is thrilled to death and massively loves Notion. And if anybody ever needs any kind of custom Notion or Notion at all set up, uh, they are like the master. I don't know what the fuck so, Notion is. Notion is delightful. It is. But I saw the um, homepage. <laughs> That was created for you, yes. and it was an extremely you. Um, <laughs> yeah, dashboard, homepage, yeah, I don't know what it's, it's called. Kinda like, it, it could be both. It So you can, 
I've seen people use it to organize sewing patterns, to create a database of their favorite recipes, <laughs> to companies using it as an entire intranet. So you can... Oh, so it's a database system. Pretty much, yeah. And it's amazing. Um, which uh, is that I needed to because I uh, am in a... Uh, I guess it's not a boot camp, but it's close to. It's a very concentrated, uh, short but intense certificate program for UX design, which uh. I love. I'm very excited. Also, shout out to all of my fellow students because uh, somebody, we had to, uh, you need to do businessy stuff. They're making me do LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Me. I just i'm not good at the linkedin like i'm not good at not saying snarky shit some guy already mansplained something to me and i had to walk away like i'm like i can't not on this linkedin um but they discovered the, that podcast and they were gonna listen to it so if you're listening thank you very much and hi and you're amazing and i'm glad that i'm in class with you so this is not the person who mansplained to you no, no, no. that we're saying hi to no 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 the guy that mansplained to me is like somebody that i didn't even know like, Man, and, fuck you, dude. Seriously. And then, like, I had posted, because when each time, so during this program, it's actually, the curriculum is, the majority of the curriculum is, is through Google. And then when you finish a course, you get, like, a certificate for that course that you finished. And you can attach sure. it to your LinkedIn. And I think it was my first one. And I was all excited. And some dude I don't even know made a comment on it like because it's like that you're like hey celebrate with me i did this thing and he's like if you really want to learn come use my my program and i was like oh did fuck you, you did you really just use my accomplishment to pimp your bullshit class <laughs> like dude there's no empathy in that you need to maybe go learn your like your own but i uh uh no gross i'm too feisty and then i'm like oh like i i'm not good at i'm not good at the Oh, I don't interact on LinkedIn. I just every once in a while <laughs> update it so it is accurate. And every once in a while I will go through and add people who I should probably have as professional contacts. I, I believe I you are the reason <laughs> that I most recently um, <laughs> went through adding people because I'm fairly certain that you added me. I did. I was like, I'm so <laughs> That's all right. I I was you know insomnia 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 ing. Oh, that's, that's another thing. I'm like I'm gonna end up like liking somebody something at like three thirty in the morning, and they're gonna be like, uh, "This is LinkedIn, ma'am. Where have you come from?" <laughs> like I don't. And then all of the Twitter meltdown. Oh, no, definitely take LinkedIn off of your phone, or hide it from the homepage. Oh, that's a good idea. So you can't accidentally think it's a good idea in the middle of the night yeah that's probably wise and then like all the so the the twitter alternatives that have come out i now have blue sky and threads and metadon and there's so many of them and i'm like this is mastodon no. mastodon there you go there metadon i don't know I got I, i'm pretty sure that's also <laughs> a, a uh, prehistoric creature <laughs> you know <laughs> That's, that's how good I am. The prehistoric uh, like, all uh, ancestor of Twitter. I mean, TikTok <laughs> has one called Lemon or Lemonade. I don't know. You're all going to make me go back to like Pinterest. And, I don't know. I have no 
idea. Oh, There's but so Pinterest doesn't even make sense anymore. No, it doesn't. It really nah, doesn't. I don't know what's going on there. I used to be real good at that. <laughs> so it's the same thing over and over. So yeah. So that's my my life. I like so, Threads though, because Threads isn't so bad. Um, yeah. So uh, because I wasn't, you know, already running, <laughs> running on empty with ninety things. Um, I just decided to toss being old and in school on my plate. Um, but Fair it's enough. weird. But I like it. I mean, I love learning. I still, I mean, like I take classes for the fun of it because I'm weird. Um, but this is like. What killed me was like I don't know how to fucking take notes anymore. Oh, because it's been so long, and Notion is what like my eldest has their entire schedule and all their school stuff on there, and a lot of like college hmm. students use it to take notes and 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, I have a composition notebook and a mechanical pencil. Like I and I'll write everything down. Like I don't know what the and then I started, so then I was like, maybe I should I usually watch. do first draft written and then lift into a digital document um, when I'm organizing my thoughts. See, that makes sense. But like, so then I was like, oh, I'm going to watch it because it's me and I'm not bright at times. I'm like, I'm just going to watch a YouTube video on how to take notes. And I'm like, no, because that's a rabbit hole. Like, that's an entire rabbit hole because there's systems <laughs> and... I was like, no, and I, I had enough sense about me, which there means are like that, 37 right ways and you need to take classes for all of that. Right. Uh, but I clearly had enough cold brewing me that day because I backpedaled, like I opened the door, saw it was behind it. It was like, oops, sorry, nope, nope, wrong nope, nope, room. Nope. And I backed up out of there and I'm just going about it my way. Um, but yeah, so that's like, I'm like, you know what, as long as I retain the information, but then I'm like. Once I start learning the information, then I'm like, must read all the books, must get all of the certificates, must learn all the pretties. <laughs> so, Same. No, like, so, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Um, other than that, uh, my offspring got to jointly deal with a flat tire yesterday, and that was a shit show. Because um, I, I was, imagine it was. <laughs> I was having a bit. We are all stressed and having like off mental health days for various reasons and and everything. So um, it was it was wonderfully um, chaotic and they were troopers and eventually it got taken care of. But it was uh, yeah. I think that about sums up the uh, current contents of my brain that have just dumped forth onto you. I. <laughs> Welcome. It's a different shower of brain contents than I have been hanging out in. Yeah, um, you've been doing a lot of peopling. Yeah, so fair warning, people listening. One of the major ways that my autism manifests is a loss of language. And so some words and sentence structures simply don't exist for me right now like those <laughs> those neurons not making a connection Which so a um funny given our topic today <laughs> oh my god right um yeah oh gosh but i am uh speaking of of chaos i am reading a book that i am very pleased to Ooh, be reading. What you reading? What you um, reading? 
so do you know the um, TikTok account ADHD Love? Oh, I don't. I'm fairly certain I've sent you a few you links. Have. It's um, they're a really what the fuck? <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to update my software right now. <laughs> Man, I fuck have it, off! I have it sticking up in my corner of my of mine too. Oh, it just tried to do it by itself. Oh, cheeky. Like, man, screw you. Anyway, so um, uh, they are a British, I think, couple. Um, guy has sort of long hair and a beard, and the woman has half black, half teal hair. Oh, she's adorable. Yeah, and so they wrote a book called Dirty Laundry, um, Why Adults with ADHD Are So Ashamed and What We Can Do to Help. And um, they wrote it together. Uh, He is neurotypical and she has ADHD. And so it's a really really interesting combination of figuring out, like, why brains with like i have what the kids are calling these days ADHD, which is autism and adhd um i've actually had an adhd diagnosis way longer than my autism diagnosis but um so it's been interesting to read a book by adults for adults that isn't uh a scientific book mm-hmm. or like a textbook or telling you what's wrong with you like oh, it's actually yeah. reading it makes me laugh and makes me feel less alone and oh. sometimes if you can just identify yeah. like oh shit this is not a me problem this is a how my brain functions problem it becomes less of a hey, you're fucking up, and more, oh, I'm going to need a tool for this. I like that. I think that one of my favorite positives to come out of the pandemic has been TikTok, specifically neurospicy TikTok. You know, mm-hmm. where people have been like, I mean, there is that funk you feel in your chest when you read something and you're like, oh, God, that's me. Um, <laughs> like, too close. Or that whole, it's 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 a funny joke, but can you please not tell it? <laughs> like, just... Exactly. And, and there's so many people that, like, have been like, oh, my gosh, that I'm not alone anymore. Like, there's other people that understand how my brain works or how this works for me. Yeah, and there's a difference between knowing, like, like I am aware intellectually mm-hmm. that my brain works in a different way than neurotypical brains do and that it manifests in these certain ways. Mm-hmm. But that isn't the same thing mm-hmm. as being like, oh, it's me! Right. <laughs> um, and... Especially when the it me is like a super cute couple on the internet. Right. That you're like, oh. And they, like, 
they look like me. I think they're younger, but like, yeah, they aren't like they're relatable in more ways than just we are both adults with ADHD. They are relatable because their lifestyles aren't different than mine. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, I they're hilarious and their TikToks are really really funny i just said that twice see my brain's like nah (laughs) (laughs) but um they're just they're fun to watch and also you can learn a bunch and it's nice that you can like if you see something and you're like whoa Mm -hmm. whoa that hit too close to home you can send it to your partner and be like Eh, this <laughs> and it's I don't know it's it's a nice less sterile less um, infantile way of presenting adults with ADHD as functioning grown-ups that is yeah. really cool and anyway they're they're funny and their book is good oh you mean it's more than just look squirrel I mean, sometimes it is just look squirrel. Which is fine. Yeah. Or mine recently has been, look, poppies. (laughs) They're pretty poppies, though. They are. I will have to absolutely check out the book and follow them. As soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. And they did the audio book. Oh, nice. I love Mm -hmm. that. I love the... So I own the book. I always get things in sets of three, usually. I, I will have the audio book. I will have the actual book for my bookshelf so I can look at the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, because I like to be able to physically know where in a book something is. Mm-hmm. And then I will have the ebook because then it can go yes. with me. And oh. it's just... So I have all of them, and they're all good in different ways. <laughs> Yay! Speaking uh, of books, did you see Red, Right, and Royal Blue is on Prime next month? Well, I did. My mom is super excited. All, we, we literally put it on the family calendar and marked the entire day off. But Grace is telling me this morning that uh, it's Quincy McTick... Casey McQuiston. There we go. I can remember hers. But that they are not doing any, um, they've backed away from doing any promo for it in solidarity with the strike. Oh, yeah. I mean, that. Easy choice, but um, also, uh, Aldous is a little dismayed because it's the first non-binary writer to reach such, you know, to to write such a, a popular book and have it turned into a you know, a movie by, you know, and then to not be able to truly fully celebrate it. It's a little sad. It is a little sad, but I also think that... I think that a lot of the people who need to be reached already have been, Mm -hmm. and the people who will then discover it after they fall in love with the movie, because that movie better be amazing. The... uh Casey said it is. They said, yeah, watch it. Watch or, it, please. They, yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it looks good. And it's such a good It does look good. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. Yeah, so, me too. I just had to throw that out there. Because I was like, yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, my mom and I were sitting at my kitchen island while she was here, um, I guess, last week. And I was like, hey, mom, guess what? And she didn't know that there was a movie. Nice. And it was exciting. Um, Yay. Also, for context, my mom loves that book, and I sent it to her. Nice. <laughs> so, um, and apparently she passed it around her friends. That's awesome. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. Pass around. I mean, it's such a good book. It is very good, very very good. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, wow. <laughs> Speaking of ADHD manifesting, yes, we're doing amazing. <laughs> we are indeed. We are indeed. If this is your first time listening, we don't usually talk this much, but it's been a while, and we're having a day. I mean, we kind of probably do, yeah. but. Uh, it's probably somewhat more structured. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, technically red, white, and royal blue, and the combining of the two countries can be loosely it's... threaded into our oh. episode today. See? I My superpower is being able to justify almost anything. <laughs> I will find that thread. <laughs> but you're not wrong here. Like, it's... that is deeply accurate. See? There we go. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway... I, I think maybe we should take a quick break. Yeah. We should take a quick break right now. And uh, definitely we want to thank all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on the Patreon. And if you join us, you will get your own special, totally normal, not at all creepy-ish, welcome <laughs> shout out right about here in a, in a future episode. It's true because you, yes, you, mm-hmm. right there. Yep. Maybe look in a mirror. Yep. Make a funny face. Uh-huh. I hope that face is maybe not holding a little too long after you stop making it. <laughs> um, anyway, you, you are the best. The best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. We would. But maybe cover the mirror first. Yeah. And it's mosquito and tick season. So that's saying a lot. I'm just saying. Oh, God. It's true. (laughs) A tick crawled out of my slipper. Oh. Yeah. That that sound. (laughs) I mean, it was on the outside of my slipper. And I was like, what in the actual fuck are you? (laughs) And then I immediately captured it in a container. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Burned it. filled that container with um, cotton balls filled with alcohol and then sealed it, and then it sat outside by my side door for a month and a half. I mean, that seems perfectly appropriate. Yeah, it was real dead. You want them real dead. Yep. You yep. want you went on in this fun, guys? <laughs> Not only are you going to get great secret <laughs> surprises, but you'll uh-huh. also get a huge back backlog of patreon only episodes so more of this like 60 64 64 episodes and uh you'll hear our cats (laughs) so much (laughs) especially mr big stuff yes um especially when it's dinner time so yeah join us join us it's fun Join us, they said. It'll be fun, they said. 
come play with us. <laughs> I feel like the moment we are in the same location, we must dress up as the Shining Twins Absolutely. and take that photo. <gasps> Absolutely. Oh I mean, we goodness. could go to the Stanley Hotel. <gasps> yes. Field we trip. could. Oh, alive, alive, alive. We could do a live episode. We could. It's oh, true. That's... Although, I don't know how many people are going to travel to the Stanley Hotel to see us. That's true. That's true. Um, but you never know. You never know. You never do. Yeah. We're going to manifest S- that shit. Yes. I wonder if there's been, there has to have been a podcast that has done a live show at the Stanley Hotel, right? Oh, there has to have been. There's some, there's some dude that lives across the street from the, um, oh God, in LA. Why can I not, I just blanked on it. The Biltmore? Thank you. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Where that poor child died in the water on the top. We did an episode on it. Oh. Um, oh, my goodness. Wow. Why? Yeah, I just completely <laughs> blanked. Remember, remember we, we She left. wasn't a child. She was no, a grown-up. No, she was a grown-up, but, you know, she oh, was okay. so young. Hold um, that thought. D- no, not Dakota. That would be the wrong city. Uh Hold on. Okay. Oh. Cecil Hotel. Yeah. That is it. Yeah, he films outside the Cecil Hotel. Oh my gosh, remember we did our first, uh, we did a special watching the uh, ghost, was it the ghost advent, ghost hunters? <laughs> oh my gosh. That was oh, the best. I'll probably that was just, fun. I'll have to edit this down a bit. But hey. Uh, all right. Uh, anyway, yes, <laughs> that. But I'm going to bring it back around. Yes. Bringing it back around to uh, places. Places oh. where creepy yep. or maybe old timey things have lingered. Okay. Uh huh. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that connection too, um, and I am going to tell you about. Oh, my across the street neighbors are coming over right now. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, <clears throat> uh, I am going to tell you about the places in America that still have. British accents, huh? but British accents from the 16 and 1700s. That's so, a commitment. Yeah, well, I mean, it's less, you know, I guess it is, a lot of it is stubbornness. Uh, it's like maybe half stubbornness, half um, general geographical isolation. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense, because I'm sitting there thinking, what the heck? All right, so I'm going to tell you about three different places today um, that maintain at least some 
remnants either in vocabulary or um, speech patterns or accents that just make them sound to an untrained ear kind of British. Okay. But um, there's something that brings all of these places together, which is they are all in the Chesapeake Bay, which is one of the very early places that colonizers arrived in. Yeah. And so the islands scattered about in the Chesapeake Bay have some of the older 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 settlements mm-hmm. um and especially the older rural uh settlements so like they are all fishing islands. Oh, okay. And the people who live there are still largely descended from the original families. Oh. And uh, it's it's a very different way of different way of life. Like a lot of places they simply do not have enough contact with the outside well, I wouldn't say the outside world cuz Many of them have TVs and such, but they don't have enough daily contact with outside, say, governing bodies okay. that um, they often will have cars that don't have license plates or registration or insurance <laughs> if they have cars at all and like things like that. So it's just a little bit, it's kind of like living off the grid, only you've been living off the grid for 300 years. Oof, that is a long time. Yeah, and this is not to say that there isn't electricity and things like that, because those things have largely arrived, but there still isn't much interaction with the mainland in any of these, although tourism is um, becoming increasingly more of a thing. So... The first place we're going to look at is the is a place called Tangier Island, um, and that is, I believe, uh, technically part of Virginia because all of these places are part or parts of states, but they're not all parts of the same state. Um, so it's in the Chesapeake Bay and. It's located about 90 miles southeast of Washington, D.C., and about 12 miles off of Virginia's eastern shore. Um, And uh, a lot of these, like a lot of the descriptions of these three islands did orient them as the crow flies to Washington, D.C., which seems uh, like I might have gone with Boston or something like <laughs> that, but it's. I guess the point is that none of them are all that far from the current working capital of the United States. Yeah, <clears throat> and so in uh, Tangier Island, the population is about four hundred and sixty people. 
Okay. And the main island is 1.2 square miles. And the boats that do stop don't stop terribly often. And things aren't exactly modern. So they still bury loved ones in their back gardens, like you do. Um, I believe they do still have also some cemeteries, but it's not unusual or illegal in the way that it, well, it might technically be illegal, but in the way that, like, I can't just bury someone in my backyard. Yeah. Wait, that didn't sound right. (laughs) Anyway, um, they don't have alcohol in their stores or their two restaurants oh yep church on sunday is basically required there are very few cars and only one circular road and there's definitely no cell service definitely no cops and definitely no crime so that's that's good because nobody's coming to you very fast And their accents and ancestry can be traced back to the island's founding 17th and 18th century families. And what they retain is probably um, the accent of lower class British men, Mm. um, which then on the island developed independently from the mainland. So... It's likely that most of the earliest um, places of colonization in the mainland U.S., Mm -hmm. they probably had the same accents as the people who arrived at those islands when they all arrived. But because, you know, language Mm -hmm. is alive, um, they evolved independently of each other and retained very different quirks and also didn't mix <clears throat> excuse me and also didn't mix with language trends in other surrounding areas mm. so it's it's kind of cool that's very cool yeah so the words that they have retained that you probably won't hear elsewhere are um, ort instead of ought, like you ought to. Um, yorn instead of yours. Uh, sot instead of sat. And this one, I, I have no idea how this got to mean what it does, but iggy, I-G-G-Y, mm-hmm. uh, meaning going to. And... Um, The, since fishing and um, ocean faring broadly are the main uh, economic supporters of the island, pretty much everyone who works there is a fisherman. And I do say man specifically because I didn't see any ladies. Um, I mean, there are ladies on the island, but I didn't see any in, like, the 
in the fishing trade, but they are called watermen instead of fishermen, um, which has historically been a pejorative term uh, for like pirates or (laughs) people running, um, like not running alcohol because clearly we have established that they don't have any. But um, the name stuck, and that name seems to have stuck in all three places that I'm talking about today. And so there is a local on the island named Bruce Gordy who has made a list of more than 300 expressions that only exist on the island. And they also, and this seems to also be the same on all three of these islands that I'm talking about, um, engage in backwards talk, like saying late when you mean early. Um, And so I wonder if this, and I'm sure that someone has done a linguistic study and that this is not groundbreaking, but it sounds like that some of it must come from Cockney rhyming slang because backwards talk is certainly related to that. And yeah. so, I love um, a good Cockney accent. I can't understand a lot of the rhymes sometimes, but I love it. <laughs> no, well, I have linked YouTube videos to all the different islands because their accents aren't the same. They're all very different, even because they all evolved independently. Right, but it's and, still um, incredibly interesting. Yeah, and so they're because they're all different. They all sound baffling in their own way and so if you want to hear them and not just me reading them off uh, I I highly recommend clicking on the links in the show notes but um, here are just a handful of the words or the words and phrases that I think probably came from Cockney rhyming slang but simply do not make sense in uh, current context. Mm-hmm. So you have the meebs if you stink. Um, <laughs> I love that. I don't know why, but I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like it must be connected to having the morbs, and then it went, you know, morbs dead. Mm-hmm. Like instead of depression, it went to death, and I don't know. I think I might be overthinking that. Um, The phrase Hawkins is here means it's cold. So somebody iced out a room, I'm guessing. I don't know. (laughs) Um, If you're in the sweet peas, you're asleep. And so I, that one I'm pretty sure was originally Cockney rhyming rhyming slang. Um, You mug up. If you want something to eat. Oh. And crackers are called nabs and oh. sweets are called nugs. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, what are they uh, called chicken nuggets then? I imagine they don't. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, if you are selling cakes, I am fairly certain that it means you are lying or telling tall tales or selling some bullshit uh and 
if you say to someone, no boy, that means their flies down. Okay. No idea. Um, And they also call asparagus sparrow grass, which (laughs) um, in England is in some places in some dialects still called spar grass. Okay. Um, So clearly it came from there. Uh, But yeah, so... It's it's like it's an interesting. entire population of inside jokes. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like you know, um, somebody like somebody's family member said something, and it turned into like a colloquialism that has stuck. Oh, absolutely. And so there's a quote um, in one of the articles that I read from the high school English teacher, and it says, uh, quote, we were always taught in school that we did not speak properly. I was reading Charles Dickens and found out that many of these words that we have always been told were incorrectly pronounced were actually words that were used in England, mm-hmm. uh, said Dwayne Crockett, <laughs> uh, high school English teacher. Dwayne, that's a, Dwayne Crockett is a good but, name. But Crockett, that is a, yeah solid old time uh, colonial name Um, so yeah so that is just a quick overview of the um, Tangier Island folks and uh, then I'm going to move on to people called uh, hoitoiters hoitoiters they hoitoity no no high tide (gasps) okay that makes sense hoi Hoiters. So, ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it like half British, half Boston accent. Yep, that's I'ma um, talk all about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, uh, this is a collective phrase that um, talks about people who live on the outer banks of North Carolina, and still in the. Chesapeake Bay Mm -hmm. and in uh, places called well honestly I have no idea what they're called because I couldn't find pronunciation but um, I think uh, Wanches Hatteras and Ocracoke or Ocracoke probably Ocracoke um, because Ocracoke is the one that I found the most information on um and also harker's island and so the earliest settlers in these places were from england um scotland ireland or were scotch irish and they were largely seafaring people and were like the um tangier island people very geographically isolated and largely made their um or their economy was largely uh fishing based and once again with watermen mm-hmm. and i found a guide um to uh ocracoke brogue uh which is um the general um hold on lost the word 
the general name for the dialect that they're speaking okay. is the Outer Banks brogue, um, like Scottish brogue, ah, and um, which they. It's pretty clear when you listen to them how they got that, but I found a um, an article called um, Ocracoke Brogue for Dingbatters, <laughs> which is kind of a delight. I was going to say that is a delightful title. Yeah. So, um, like, this also makes me wonder if Chuck Tingle is from here. <laughs> Chuck! So... Ooh. That being because Buck is a good friend, usually male. Although a female friend might be a puck. Interesting. For, yep. Um, puck is generally a male name. Yep. And, well, yes. Um, if you're reading your Shakespeare. Yes. Or various other. Anyway. Um. So the phrase to call the mail over means to distribute the mail, <laughs> which I think like calling as in I will call on you. Oh, okay. So they're calling the mail over. Like wiggly eyebrow like, calling on or just like I'll like. No, no. Like um, you came with a calling card to someone's drawing room. Okay. Like. So you're calling over to so and so's house. So not have thrived in that environment. <laughs> <laughs> I've read enough regional romances. It's fine. <laughs> or I mean regency romances. Although they are regional. Anyway, oh dear God. Um <laughs> Dingbatter. Noun. A non native of Ocracoke or the Outer Banks. Okay. So I'm a ding batter. You're a ding batter. And I watched a video of um, people from the island trying to explain what ding batter meant. (laughs) And it devolved into two people being like, there are ding batters. And, you know, there are ding batters. (laughs) (laughs) Some people are just ding batters. But other people, (laughs) they're ding ding batters. And anyway, so I thought that was great. Um, they also refer to people who don't live on the island as foreigners. Um, That's Which is kind of funny. <laughs> it sounds like a whole different world, so it makes sense. Yep. Um, there is a hide-and-seek style game called... <clears throat> Apologies in advance if this is derogatory... But if it is, it's derogatory towards white people, so... That don't matter yet. Um, it's called Me Honky. <laughs> um, I was expecting is, Catch Cracker. Uh, yeah. Um, if you want to harass someone or bother them, what you're doing is the verb mamuck. Mamuck? <laughs> I mean, I think it's pronounce mamuck or like a muck a muck yeah um 
a person <laughs> who was born and raised on the island is an ococker. Oh, alrighty then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, if you are Quamished, and I like this, I feel like we should take this one. Um, you're sick to uh, sick to the stomach. So I feel like Quamished is how I feel whenever I'm hungover. Yes, that makes sense. Um, like when you definitely need to eat something greasy in order yes. to live. Oh, yeah, that's the, you need to go, you guys don't have George Webb's. Uh, but it was like this little hole in the wall cheapy diner and they had. I mean, I'm thinking Denny's. Yeah, and this is like a local chain version of Denny's if it was like a small, lots of sitting at a bar counter type thing, diner. Great coffee amazing hash browns that probably came out of a carton but they knew how to make them just the right amount of greasy yeah you know you could get a burger or chili or pancakes anytime of the day. <laughs> yeah. ideal yep 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 yeah we have one called judy's restaurant um in the town where i grew up that is very similar lots of wood paneling oh nice yeah uh anyway um if you want to tell somebody that the water is very, very calm, it's slick calm. Oh, all right. So, uh, and I feel like a lot of these make more sense to me because I live in New England mm-hmm. and hear this, at least parts of this accent, more frequently than I once did, but it's I don't know. It's weird because I didn't... Uh, Obviously, I know what a Bostonian accent sounds like. Um, yep. But I didn't realize how close to Bostonian uh, Maine, people from Maine sound like. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, and Vermont were... and New Hampshire. See, like, it's all. That. My parents are watching some. Uh, it's probably like on the Magnolia Network or something, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a group of people. They, they uh, like repair lake houses and cabins and stuff, specifically in Maine. And the, it's. It's a, it's a sweet little show, uh, but it's, yeah, they, the accents are so thick. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I didn't, realize, I didn't realize. Oh, like, really, really thick. Yeah. Um, yeah, every once in a while, Jeremy will say something, and I'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're still, what now? <laughs> what were your vowels doing? <laughs> what are your vowels doing, and where did the R go? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I have found myself because I used to listen to car talk on NPR all the time, and now I live in New England, and so I used to jokingly call vehicles the car. The car. And I have found myself unironically doing that. I'm like, (laughs) you asshole, you are not from here. Stop it. But it's easy to pick stuff up. You know what I mean? It's... Well, I mean, and if you have autism... Uh, and are used to uh, mirroring and masking. Yeah. You oh, for sure. uh, pick up accents often automatically. Yeah. So it is. It is what it is. It is what but it is. Not I roll of, my eyes. Not a lot of cars on the hoitoides. No. True. <laughs> um, yeah. Wicked few. Wicked few. <laughs> um, so, all right. This last one mm-hmm. for. Uh, 
vocab for the Outer Banks um, is water fire, which is both a noun and a verb. Oh, okay. And it's the light that appears on the surface of swampy water that's, um, it's swamp gas. <laughs> um, okay. And are you unfamiliar with swamp gas? No. I, I okay. mean, I've never seen it. Yeah, I mean, decaying plant matter causes uh, light sometimes. Um, Anyway, so it's interesting to me that it's a noun and a verb. Right? Every time you hear swamp, I just want to say, get out me swamp donkey from Shrek. I have only seen shrek the musical on broadway i have mm-hmm. not seen and that was when it was in previews so i have no idea i think uh, it's it's still one of uh Elvis, like comfort movies um, yeah i'm i'm just not the right age yeah, i have offspring so well right which is <laughs> which is why <laughs> why you're aware all right um so this uh handy guide also includes a grammar 101 Okay. Which is, uh, which includes things like a prefixing. So um, it is like if you're saying, "I'm going a fishing." I'm coming a courting. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Um, but it's only um, when the accent isn't on the first syllable of a word so it's one of those things where you intuitively know oh that it's right or it's not right like um an example they give was you wouldn't say she was a discovering the cave because the accent's on the first part of the word so it doesn't make any sense but a fission that isn't where like the accent's in the middle of the word so Anyway, it's it's one of those things where when you hear something and you know it by ear, mm-hmm. that's the kind of rule that is. And I think that I like that. I had, um, a, t- I had a teacher that used to always like to say, it's important that you don't put the, put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and the, uh, the verb to be. Mm-hmm is not um wait uh declined is for nouns what is conjugated there we go um so the verb to be isn't conjugated as was in the past tense it's conjugated weren't weren't okay yep so um like uh oh um, the dog weren't here mm-hmm. is what they, um, the example they give. And yeah, so it is, and that part is very, very sticky in the language. Like it's a, it's an identifier, um, that you are an outsider. If you have changed that particular, um, conjugation. So it's like something that 
even younger speakers in the Outer Banks still do mm. to um, signal that they are locals, wow. which I think is interesting. It is. Um, I also associate weren't, uh, I guess, with Southern is what, like a Southern phrase. Uh, it's pretty common in Michigan, too. Is it? Mm-hmm. Um, like rural. But, uh, oh, and you know how uh, in parts of the Midwest, um, where you are, not necessarily where I grew up, um, you say by instead of at. Oh, like, yeah. Like, the kids are by their dad. Yeah. Um, they use two. So, um, they are to their dad. Okay. Um, which is sort of like New York's on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Instead of in. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, and two is called a locative, which I oh. had forgotten. But, um, so there is also, just a little aside on pronunciation, mm-hmm. um, and a story that was provided that I thought was pretty funny, um, a local was asked to be a fire marshal for um, a building, mm-hmm. I guess, that um, that they were in, and she couldn't pronounce the word fire because that was simply not how it was said. So they uh, gave her a hard time about not being able to alert people to a fire because she said far instead of fire. And um, so the um, AR is often substituted for IRE and um, AI is usually substituted for OU. So things... Let's see. Oh, um, so like instead of sound and brown, Mm -hmm. it would be sand and brain, Mm. Uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. It is. Yeah. And so just just one more location, Smith (laughs) Island in Maryland. That sounds very like plain compared to the others. Smith. Yep. Uh, so families, again, landed here when the first settlers came up Chesapeake Bay in the mid-1600s. Right now, their population is less than 200. Um, their location is in, well, technically Maryland, and it's 100 miles as the crow flies to Washington, (laughs) D.C. Um... The people who live and work there are also called watermen. And linguists say that the accent on this island resembles Elizabethan English accents. Um, Although outsiders would probably think that it was more similar to the Outer Banks brogue that we just talked about. Um, But the people on Smith Island have their own vocabulary and also engage in backwards talk in the same way that um, 
well, at least the uh, the first Tangier Island folks. I can't remember if I saw for sure that the Outer Banks folks did, but I think that was also a common a commonality between all three of those particular linguistic groups. And uh, so the people who live on Smith Island have really strong accents. Um, so some examples they give are like the word raised sounds like rised or the word down is Dane. Oh. Um, and oil would sound like ale. And so um, the pronunciation is sort of, um, well, similar to Elizabethan England, but very specifically um, Cornwall, and there's a lot of Welsh pronunciation markers. Welsh is a whole different. Oh, boy. <laughs> there is someone... Um, who lives down the road from us who has something in Welsh across the top of their garage. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think that it's, I mean, it's very, like, painted expertly. Like, mm-hmm. it's its lovely. I'm sure it says something protective or welcoming. But um, no fucking idea. And for a while, I thought it was Irish Gaelic. But I'm like, nah, I've been learning that. <laughs> There's, uh, I think the longest word is Welsh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the longest um, place name, I think, is what you're talking about. It's like, yeah. It's so long. That is a city name or a town name or something. My friend Steve, who's patron and in our Facebook group. Uh, Hi. He can pronounce it. He is British, uh, but he he can do some of the Welsh, and I'm like in forever awe of that because even as somebody who picks up languages pretty good, Welsh is a little little frightening to me. <laughs> like just so many consonants. Yeah, intimidating. And all the accents. I'm like, who? What? <laughs> what is the accent? Yeah, Irish Gaelic is like that too. Like. There are definitely just things that do not sound the way they are written, but at least consistently. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So um, I think that Smith Island probably has the strongest audible accent that we've heard thus far. So they, like, instead of saying crouch, they would say um, kreish. Um, like very, I understand why people would connect it to the Outer Banks brogue because it sounds, it sounds kind of like a modern, um, Scottish accent, except that it is very much not what that actually sounds like with the words it's connected to, (laughs) um, which is sort of funny, like right accent, wrong words. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and they also, like I said, partake in um, backwards talk. So they might say, that don't look right for something that looks great. <laughs> Just, you know, why not? Um, and this is one of those 
weird things where I think uh, I think English uh, like American mm-hmm. English does this too um, like oh I'm trying to think oh like when you say I couldn't care less mm-hmm. um, when you right. mean the opposite right. um, so I think that this is sort of similar to like um, this is another example that this article gives. Um, he really loves his daughter. An islander would say he don't think nothing of his little girl. Um, and so it's it's just one of those like weird colloquial uh, inside phrases, I think. That it, that I think is just kind of cool. And my ne- oh, the my neighbors are in my pool. Um, <laughs> anyway, so a lot of a lot of the locals here specifically sound like unintelligible if you did not know what they were saying or if you weren't prepared for it i think it's sort of like needing to turn the subtitles on if you're watching something um with real scottish or irish or whatever accents Mm -hmm. um or like an especially thick um scouse accent or something like (laughs) that um but I think that this is especially intense. And I think that this place is one of the few places where the youth um, has more of an accent. The older they, or the more generations, the thicker the accent because the language is continuing to evolve. Yeah. That's so Um, interesting that it hasn't... Yeah. I don't want to say straightened out or course corrected. That there hasn't been more of an outside influence on it. Yeah, and they still use things that we would obviously think of as, like, modern British phrasing. So, like, someone might go a swimming of an evening. Okay. And that just has stuck around. Mm -hmm. That sentence structure just carries on. So, anyway, I I think that that is that is very cool, um, and I also like that the population of this specific place is so interested in maintaining um, a connection to its specific cultural dialect yeah. that. It is becoming like that that accent continues to evolve and continues to be stronger with each generation. Right. I mean, there aren't that many people, um, but still. Yeah, so I, I think that that's just interesting. It is, especially considering the fact that um, culturally society would judge them and think them unintelligent based on their dialects. Yeah. Well, they also would think they weren't American. True, true. 
I mean, that's sort of the funniest thing to me, <laughs> is that these families in these islands have ties older than almost any other areas of colonization. Right? And that's such a point of pride for certain populations. Yep. And yet, I'm just going to go ahead and not dive into the politics yeah. I was about oh. to dive into. I'm going to back away slowly. I had to do that too. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, no, I totally, yeah, that's it. There's an irony in the fact that they are more, ta- yeah, that they have more colonial rights than ever you know and the people who cling tightly to theirs as a point of you know superiority would look down upon them you know what i mean yep although to be fair the people who are most enthusiastically um judgmental Mm -hmm. also have some real interesting uh regional dialects that's true that is true. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that that is those three places. And I just, I didn't know those existed I until, didn't. like, something popped up, um, linked in something else I was reading. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's amazing. I had no idea. And I am completely fascinated and also kind of want to visit. Everybody. Yeah, and you can, some of them have tourist boats that do come i'm sure because that's what's keeping the populations um existing yeah you gotta bring in new new bloodlines (laughs) i mean yeah but um they're also because they're in the chesapeake bay and you know hurricanes and shit happen oh yeah the um the islands themselves, I think something like two-thirds of Tangier Island simply does not exist since 1850. Oh, wow. Um, and so there's a lot of... There's a lot of interesting back and forth between this piece of land is impractical to habitate, mm. um, but also there's a lot of cultural history here that... Sh- maybe wants to be preserved um, and sort of going back and forth and balancing the heroic measures that one wants to take to preserve that land and also the realities of, you know, what the climate is doing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely going to listen to every video that you have linked. (laughs) Yeah, I... It's definitely interesting, and you learn a lot about the places there. Ooh, my Midwestern accent's pretty heavy <laughs> at the moment since my mom was just here. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of Bingunna and Yanas going on in my life at the moment. Nice. Nice. Yep. So I am a giant sucker for old movies. Uh, yes. Especially if either Hepburn is in them. And both of them have a connection of sorts to my topic today, which is the transatlantic accent. Yes, I'm so excited to hear about this. <laughs> which uh, uh, apparently is also known as the mid-Atlantic accent, or in Canada it is referred to as Canadian dainty. 
Canadian Dainty? Canadian Dainty. Uh, amongst other names. Uh, and it is the only <laughs> accent. Canadian Dainty. I know, right? <laughs> There's nothing dainty about that <laughs> accent. Nothing dainty about it and nothing really dainty about Canadians. They are no, just like I mean, that accent just, <laughs> just reminds me of Chicago. Right? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's also the only accent that never really existed in real life. Like, there's not a delightful trans or mid-Atlantic country. It's not born <laughs> of a dialect. Uh, so, what is it and where did it come from? Yes. So, in short, it is, con- is a consciously learned accent of English fashionably used by the late 19th century and 20th century um, American upper class and entertainment industry which blended together features um, regarded as the most prestigious from both American and British specifically received pronunciation which was commonly known as queen speech Mm-hmm. And from the U.S., the New England accent, heavy on the Bostonian, because uh, Boston retained its ties to England a lot longer uh, based on trade. Um, right. So it's not quite British and it's not quite American. Now, the history of the accent uh, and opinions about it are a bit fuzzy. Um. But before I, I, I get to, like, deep dive into this, you know, what does this magical accent sound like? Um, and that's pretty much, think Catherine Hepburn. She's pretty much the foster human for the accent. Um, so it has, And so hot in a pantsuit. Right? Um, so it has three distinctive features. Mm-hmm. First, it is non-rhotic, meaning that you drop the R at the end of words. So, winner would sound like winna, car, ka, theater, theater. Um, and in the further reading in the in show notes, I have posted a link to an article in the National Library of Medicine published last year titled, um, Rhotically in English, A Journey Over Time Through Social Class, a Narrative Review. Um, and I highly suggest it. It talks about accents and dialects differences as they relate to social behavior and ranking and it's a giant rabbit hole that i backed out of pretty quickly <laughs> um it's also probably one, for the that, best right that i would rage about um the the second one is the letter t is a very sharp sound in t so it really is quite a start they hit the t hard um, yes. And then uh, number three is using long vowel sounds. So party would sound like party. Father, father. Glasses, glasses. And I simply can't. Uh, hmm. Now the origins, and I'm taking us back further than most uh, because I think it's kind of important. Um, and it also allows me to weave my other favorite Hepburn, Audrey, no relation of Catherine, of course, into this. So I'm taking us back to, like, way back to 1877. And a man named Henry Sweet. 
Henry, at the ripe old age of 22, published a handbook of phonetics that garnered him international recognition amongst scholars. Lincoln. Good recognition or bad recognition? Good recognition. Um, and there is a link in the show notes He for the original book. Uh, he followed it up with, and you're, you're going to cringe and I apologize, um, the Elementarbuch des Gesprochenen English in 1885, which was then adapted as a primer of spoken English in 1890. I mean, that is what it says. <laughs> uh, this included the first scientific description of educated, and I use that in air quotes, London speak, later known as received pronunciation. Sound familiar? Hmm. In addition, he developed a version of a shorthand called current shorthand, which had both orthographic and phonetic modes. He, his, in, his emphasis on spoken language and phonetics made him a pioneer in language teaching, um, a subject which he covered in great detail in the practical study of languages. I think I linked that one, too. Um, in 1901, Sweet was made the reader in phonetics at Oxford, and The Sounds of English was the last book that he published on English pronunciation in 1908. In fact, Henry was so well-known that he would be somewhat immortalized as the infamous Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady. <laughs> no way. Yep. A movie wherein he was, uh, he basically bet that he could turn Audrey Hepburn, a lowly violet peddler, into, <laughs> with a very- With a Cockney accent. Oh, that Cockney, I'm a right lady, I am! Um, <laughs> she's just delightful in her. She's, I love her anyway, but- uh, that he could turn her into a sophisticated lady accepted by society merely by upgrading her diction and the words she uses. So how she talked and what she, she said. Uh, My Fair Lady, of course, didn't come out until 1964, but it's actually based on George Bernard Shaw's 1913 stage Pygmalion. Stage play Pygmalion. So. Right. Um, and I love it because that character is, he, he's very pompous. So I'm hoping that the Henry Sweet lived up to the sweet section of it. But he was, uh, he was an asshat. He was an asshat. Um, so his role, though, in, in shaping the birth of the transatlantic accent doesn't stop there. So enter William Henry Tilly. Um, and he was a protege of Henry Sweet's. And he taught at Columbia University for, um, from 1918 until his death in 1935. Uh, during that time, he introduced a version of the transatlantic accent that was, for the first time, kind of standardized with a conscious level of consistency. His hmm. goal was um, he wanted to strive for consistency in the English accent Period. He wanted everybody from England to have the same accent, which, you know, mm, that worked well. Right. Um, and I and I get it. Um, but it's never going to happen. Just like, you know, it's not here. In, in I mean, was he trying to remove class barriers? He was. He, was. He, he wanted. Yeah. He wanted to to standardize it so that there wasn't like, or I guess, vocal markers of class. Right. Um, hmm. So, uh, World English would eventually define 
the pronunciation of American classical actors for decades. So, though Tilly himself actually, he had no special interest in acting at all. So, like, he, the acting portion of it had nothing. And it's so hard because there's kind of, like, three, actually two strong pieces to this. One is the linguistic British side of things. Um, and the other one is the Hollywood factor. And the Hollywood mm-hmm. factor um, leads to another why it was brought about set of theories. But this one that I'm going through is the one that I can see as fact upon fact upon fact in a straight kind of forward thing. And then it leads mm-hmm. up to where the Hollywood branch is in. So, um, but they are very intertwined and it kind of makes sense. But anyway, so uh, Tilly, like I said, had no special interest in acting. Uh Mostly attracting, uh, he attracted a lot of, like, uh, following of English language learners and, like, New York City public school teachers. Like, so, Mm -hmm. from, like, an academia standpoint, absolutely. Um, and he was interested in popularizing his standard of a proper American pronunciation for teaching in public schools and using one public life. Uh, okay. (laughs) Quote... World English was a speech pattern that very specifically did not derive from any regional dialect pattern in England or America, although it clearly bears some resemblance to the speech patterns that were spoken in a few areas of New England and a very considerable considerable resemblance to the pattern of in England, which was becoming defined in the 1920s as RP or received pronunciation. World English then was a creation of speech teachers and boldly labeled as a class-based accent to... The speech of persons variously described as educated, cultivated, or cultured. The speech of persons who moved in rarefied social or intellectual circles. And the speech of those who might aspire to do so. Mm -hmm. So the school factor brings us to Edith Skinner. Edith. Uh, Edith was born in eastern Canada, uh, September 22nd, 1902. She attended the Leland Powers School for the Spoken Word in Boston and graduated in 1923. When she was there, she met Margaret Prendergast McLean, and through her, she met William Tilly, whose assistant she then became in 1926. She studied at Columbia University, where she obtained a bachelor's degree in 1930 and a master's in 1931. I mean, go Edith. We do celebrate a, you know... An educated educated woman. Yeah. Um, That's a, you know, that's a trailblazing kind of thing at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, in the 1930s, she was Hollywood's go-to advisor for all things speech-related. Because Hmm. at this time, films were no longer silent. And it turns out, silent film stars may be real pretty, but not exactly rocking voices meant for that. Fascinating. So this is the juncture that kind of filters into the other act like the other train of theory is that the transatlantic accent spread widely across uh, Hollywood because when pictures first had sound, they were also then radio shows and radio shows were becoming a big thing. And at that time, radios like they sucked. And uh, so the actors had to, elevate their tone and 
it was thought mm. that it was developed to sound better on the radio so that you could hear the words more clearly. Yeah, I always thought that it was developed for broadcast. So, um, so that's another chain of thought on that. Um, but it's really tough because at the same time, we have, um, like, upper echelon people from the government, uh, like, uh, people that would have traveled a lot, um, but also come from affluent backgrounds using it as well. Um, so it's this really interesting juxtaposition. So as she has, like, Edith has really strong opinions, um, and they're not nice ones. And she was, she herself was bred in the elite universities of the Northeast. Uh, and she, because of that, she, she felt she knew exactly how people should speak. So she Mm -hmm. first her own, which she called good speech accent on the stars and other voice coaches and soon her accent became the most popular accent in hollywood so she's credited with having codified the uh elite northeastern accent which is pretty much the transatlantic accent uh in her 1942 book speak with distinction which i have included a link to it is a it is a (laughs) gotta trudge through a little bit not gonna lie um edith was Again, just a piece of work, uh, as reflected from this quote from her book. Good speech is hard to define, but easy to recognize, and we hear it. Good speech is a dialect of North American English that is free from regional characteristics, recognizably North American, yet suitable for classic texts, effortlessly articulated and easily understood in the last rows of the theater. <laughs> and this is why you will find many articles seemingly attacking Catherine's use of the accent. Seriously, like, we need to leave her alone because she is far from the only one that used this accent. But there are so many articles that are, like, just unnecessarily harsh on poor Catherine. Like, one was entitled, What Was Up With Catherine Hepburn's Fake Accent? <laughs> I mean... Have they never listened to, like, news broadcasts from the time period? It was everywhere. So. Didn't Bokey have that accent? Yeah, but he's a guy, so we're not going to pick on him. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, And actually, wasn't Bokey the worst? Was Bokey from England? I don't remember. (laughs) One of the actors at that time that used it uh, was actually born in England. So it just... It's, yeah. So the accent was used amongst the elite and the sophisticated, which is basically American social standing. But then the fact that all of Hollywood was using it at the time kind of solidified its importance and distinction amongst the world. So we had it being literally taught in private schools. Like, this is how you speak. Um, because back then, that was a class in certain schools where they taught you the proper way to Yeah, elocution. Choose. Yeah. Um, so that was being taught, and so you had people like Jackie Kennedy Onassis, who has this accent because she was born affluent. But if you look at our culture today, there is still a very fine line between Hollywood and wealthy, like wealthy business people, like. Look at Paris Hilton, for example. You know, there's that fine line where we 
not necessarily worship, but we definitely put Hollywood, you know, actors and actresses on a pedestal. So we're talking about Paris Hilton's real voice, not the yeah, we're not talking uh, about her affected one, right? Yeah, we're not talking about her voice. We're just talking about the fact that look how she is a huge celebrity and has gotten to do things in Hollywood, but she's also, you know, part of the Hilton empire. Like, there's that oh, yeah, fine yeah. line gotcha. between the two populations. Um, so there's a whole section that I did not go into about the connection to the private schools in the Northeast New England area because it wasn't sure exactly, like, what you were touching on. Also, it's a huge dive, too, um, when you start to go down to... Exeter! <laughs> well, also, it. I read an article on... One of the politicians, I want to say it was Franklin Eleanor Roosevelt, um, how they were talking about how political speeches at that time worked really well with the transatlantic. Like, it was easy for them to adopt it because the the speeches were very melodic and mm-hmm. just the way that they were presented in any accent. So then you throw the transatlantic on there and it was, you know, that was a party. Um, so it worked really well. Now there, I'm thinking about mission control at NASA and stuff like that too. Yeah, uh, or even the moon landing. Mm-hmm. Like that was very much that combination of melodic speech mm-hmm. and that pronunciation pattern. I I think I actually really really like the transatlantic accent. I like so the way I. that it sounds. I don't like that it stands for some kind of elitism. Uh, and it was, it's really weird because it was, it was very short lived and all but disappeared like around World War Two, which kind of mm. makes sense. Um, but there's still many, like many modern characters and there's still, you can still hear it. Um, but there's also, so I'm going to, um, I'm going to kind of leave it at that, but I wanted to let you know that there's also definite variants of the accent. Um, and my favorite is the Locust Valley Lockjaw or board, boarding school or Largemont Lockjaw. And my folks. Oh, Larchmont? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and my favorite example of this is Gloria Upton in, Upton in Auntie Mame. But it's the. Uh, uh, oh, God. Think of the old guy from uh, Gilligan's Island where they talk like this and they don't move their jaw very much. Mm-hmm. Come up and see me yeah. sometime. Um, so they combine that with that failure to move their jaw, I guess. Um, which I yeah. think is, again, a delightful, I don't know, it's a delightful thing. And it's it's just, it is kind of weird to me how it was such a huge accent that just then up and disappeared. Like people made the effort to learn this accent because they didn't grow up with it. It wasn't instilled in the culture. They actively learned it. And I can understand why, you know, many people would want to learn it so that they could fit in. But I also find it interesting, given the fact that it was considered an elite um, accent, why it would go away. Because people, especially... Um, from old money, those type of people, you think they like to hold on to things of, that are symbols of status to them. I would be interested to see um, 
what if any overlap in accents the um all of the ivy league schools have oh i mean obviously a lot of them are in the northeast right but i suspect that there is like very much like you can tell if someone was educated um in certain institutions mm-hmm. um with british accents right 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 um I imagine that you can probably do that too with um, with specific accents for schools that are a bit more selective. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm thinking about, uh, like I went to the University of Michigan, which is a very good school, but. I went in with a rural Midwestern accent and came out with this. Mm-hmm. Not on purpose. No, I didn't but it happened. Do then. anything. Um, but it just ended up mostly going away. And my roommate at the time, um, or my freshman year roommate, came from Boston Money. Mm hmm. And so it's it's interesting to me that like I think it's still happening, just maybe somewhat more subtly. That would make sense. But it's I also found it very interesting that so there's you know the slight fight over how it really started and became a thing, um, right. But when it comes to it going away, it's just like, bloop, it left. Like, there's no pattern of of how. I think it died out with a generation of broadcasters. Because I'm thinking of, like, uh, Tom Brokaw still has it. Yeah. Well, Catherine Hepburn used it her entire life, like, up until she died. Well, I think a lot of people did. I think a lot of people that were on TV and radio specifically did um use that accent because i i think you're i could be wrong um but i believe you used to be taught specific elocution if you wanted to be a broadcaster at a national level like i think that was part of your degree program that makes sense I mean, I could just be entirely making that up, but I I am fairly certain that until quite recently that has been a thing. I w- kind of wanted to come back. <laughs> I just like listening to it. Yeah, I, I feel like we should... Um, <laughs> I think that we should try to pick it up and see how far into an episode we can get in the future. Ooh, that's a challenge that I, I will accept. Um, but yeah, it's... Maybe not the Patreon, because I think we're going to be talking about enough... Um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, that is the transatlantic accent. Which doesn't that that is no (laughs) it's it which brings us to that is the transatlantic accent i think that was actually pretty close i think so too
there's videos. I attached videos. On, uh, <laughs> I included it. Uh, what? It's funny because I included one from a an English native English or American speaker and a native British person. Um, and the native British person is trying to teach a Scottish person how to say it. It's fascinating. It is. Um, so yeah, uh, that brings us to the weekly worst, worst way to die. To die. What's yours? Entering a spelling bee on any of the islands mentioned. <laughs> Valid. Absolutely. Uh, given my current state, I'm going with sleep deprivation. It's not funny if it's true. <laughs> right? Mm, <sighs> so, hey. Oh, my goodness. Uh, would... Uh, would you maybe like to be spooky internet friends? God, yes. <laughs> you can hunt us down at Bones and Bobbins on all of the social medias. Or you can just swing on by bonesandbobbins.com. It's true. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast. I know, I know everybody says that. But it truly does please the internet gremlins. Yes. And that really is how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. And it makes us happy. It does. And bring forth the morbid souls. We love them. We do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Mm-hmm. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. <laughs> And don't run with scissors. Don't run with scissors. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and on that note, goodbye, goodbye. everyone. <laughs> Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcast so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.